This is the organic stream. Welcome. If you look at the history of civilization, there is a direct relationship between the decline of soil quality and the decline of those civilizations. All these things came from the earth. They need to go back to the earth. We're not just keeping this stuff out of the landfill and making it rotter. And that's the attitude you have to take. Every single day, somebody knocks on your door and says, Can I have your way to do Hi everyone, and welcome to The Organic Stream. I'm your host, Aline Murphy, and today we're following up with Director of the Recycling Unit of DSNY's Bureau of Waste Prevention, Bridget Anderson, to get an insight into their education and outreach strategies regarding their very successful Residential Organics Collection pilot program. We spoke to Bridget in the past episode about the pilot program more generally, how it operates and the issues they face so far, but since education and outreach is such an important part of curbside collection, we thought that dedicating an episode to this topic would be worthwhile. Bridget has some great experience and knowledge to share with us today about their campaign strategy, such as how to deal with different demographics and different residential building types, using social media and face-to-face communication, and finding solutions to the various reasons why people don't participate or give up participating. So do stick around, it's going to be a great episode. And before we start, I have a few mentions to make. First, I'd like to remind you all about the training course on organics management this October in San Sebastian, Spain, hosted by Zero Waste Europe. This is an intensive course presented through English and will provide the knowledge and skills needed for implementing high quality source separation and treatment of organic waste. Places are limited, so go to the events section of zerowasteeurope.eu to register soon. And also on our radar this week is the China National Resources and Recycling Association's China International Recycling Conference and Exhibition, which is taking place in Tianjin between September 22nd and 25th this year. The convention focuses on scrap recycling and trade, and what's also very interesting is that the Binhai Tianjin Eco City Forum will be part of the conference and will explore concepts, technologies, and products for low carbon cities. So, for those listening who would like to attend this year, go to www.chinaairc.org for more information and to register. And we'll go to Bridget in a moment, but first, I would like to thank If You Care for making this episode possible. If You Care certified compostable bags are made from potato starch from starch potatoes, blended with a fully compostable polymer and are polyethylene and plasticizer free. If You Care potatoes are grown for starch only, unlike corn, which is grown for food, and they require 40% less land than corn and no irrigation. And now, onto the interview. Hi Bridget, and thanks for joining us again for the second episode on the NYC Organics Collection Programme. Uh, last week we spoke about the programme as a whole, tackling all sorts of different areas. But now we're going to focus on the education and outreach strategies, because they definitely deserve their own episode. And uh, I know you touched on some of your strategies in the last episode, but I'd really like to understand the whole process. So can you tell me how the DSNY went about planning and implementing these strategies? So we... Uh 
entering into a pilot program for New York City is, is a big challenge because you have so many different types of communities. You have so many uh, people with so many different experiences living in so many different types of housing structures. And so we really approached this pilot from the perspective of what, what's been successful in other cities. And we look, most other cities are, have lower housing density. New York City, 60% of our population live in, you know, high-rise apartment buildings. So we um, started focusing on this, the lower-density areas of the city. In those lower-density areas, we, we reached out to the elected officials, the local uh, community organizations to get feedback and say, you know, actually part of the, part of the strategy also was to look within at sanitation. And our sanitation workers know best about what's happening on the ground. What are the neighborhoods that are, tend to be good recyclers already? What are the neighborhoods that we, they think would be more amenable to doing a pilot program? And so based on that, we, we chose a few communities. We reached out to elected officials. We talked to the local community organizations and tried to identify those informal mayors of neighborhoods that might you know, have the, their finger on the pulse of the community to explain the program, to get feedback on you know, where they, if they think it would be successful in that neighborhood, where, where the challenges might, might be. And then based on all that information, we finalized our list of pilot areas. This is our initial list of pilot areas. And then we sent a mailer uh, about a month before the program was to start. We sent a mailer to um, the households in the neighborhoods. And then we followed that up with a door hanger, door-to-door door hanger that explained the program, explained that they were, in a week, they were to receive a brown organics bin, a kitchen container, and information about the program. And then when we do the bin deliveries, this is the organics bin, the kitchen container, and the information packet. We have outreach people there during bin deliveries to talk to people on the ground. If somebody comes out, they're picking up their bin, they have a question, we ask, we answer it. You know, I would say during those periods, we've encountered people who are just so excited about the program, and we've encountered people who said, you know what, I, this really isn't for me. You know, and so what we do is we really try and change hearts and minds. We try and having people on the ground has been critical to that face-to-face conversation has been critical to getting people to even try the program. We say, you know, it's a voluntary program. You're not going to get fined if you don't participate, but we encourage you to participate in this is why, you know, you're, you're going to help reduce the material that we send to landfills that potentially could save taxpayer money that could be used for other things. Um, you're, you could reduce incidences of rodents um, in the neighborhood. It creates a cleaner waste stream for you because you're separating out the stinky stuff from the rest of your garbage. And so that on the ground sort of face-to-face has been critical. It's, it's resource intensive, but it really has been extremely helpful to get the program off the ground in the beginning. We also do try to get articles in local newspapers. So we have, you know, our citywide newspapers, the Daily News, New York Post, you know, New York Times, if they're interested. And then we have the local neighborhood newspapers. And, and those also have been really helpful to say, this is coming to this neighborhood. This is what it looks like. This is where you go for questions. You know, this is our website. And, and so they've been really helpful to, to get the message out there. That's great. And this strategy really mirrors the strategy we lay out in lesson four of our online course as well when we speak about outreach, um, that you need to let them know about the program initially about a month beforehand, we say. And then you have people going door to door to answer questions when the bins are delivered. That's very important, too. And then that's exactly what you did as well. So that's really great. Um, So, yeah, it's a very extensive campaign you have. Yeah, we've we've built, you know, email lists and newsletters and any, any opportunity we can find to get information to the local community, we, we, we use it. 
It's very good. And um, since there are so many different demographics in New York, did you have different approaches that you use for different groups of people, say, um, maybe different age groups or different languages, maybe? Or was it all kind of the same standard approach? We had we had our standard approach, but we did have in certain neighborhoods, we had people on the ground who spoke the language. So we had a, a Spanish speaker, a Chinese speaker. We actually had a few neighborhoods where Russian was an important language. And we had people on the ground so that you'd, you'd, you'd have that specific opportunity face-to-face to, to speak with somebody in their own language. Um, we also have translated some of, some of our materials, the, sort of the critical pieces of materials, into multiple languages. And our website, um, you can translate our website. So, so that's been uh, very useful as well. One thing we have discovered is not everybody, you know, especially when you're, if you're in an area that has a lot of retired people, we can't rely on the web or social media as our, our only information portal. And so we have a hotline. Um, we utilize the, the city's 311 system, and we have a lot of soft responses to question, the most common questions that we get. So we're able to utilize um, phone calls as well as an opportunity Right, yeah. So essentially the most important thing to have then is to have people on the ground who can speak the right language or are part of the same community in the form of informal mayors, like you said. And uh, yeah, so what were the most common questions that you got then or the most common issues that people had? I would say uh, we get we, we get a lot of questions about, is this mandatory? Do I have to do it? Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I think some people, they get, the, they get the mailer even though it says this is a voluntary program, they assume because it's a, a notification from the sanitation department that they have to participate. We encourage people, we say, you know, it's not mandatory, but we, we highly encourage you to try. This is a, a new strategy. We're trying to understand if we can make it work in New York City. One of the strategies that um, we've recommended to people, which is not, it's not required, but we've recommended to people that, you know, using certified compostable bags is one way to collect the material inside your home and um, get it out to the brown bin in a way that is more similar to maybe what you used to do with used plastic bags for garbage. The availability of those compostable bags has been a problem. It's taken us a while to get the bags into retail stores. There are also online outlets for the bags. The price of the bags has been a problem. Some people, you know, say it's, the bags are too expensive. I won't use them. Um, or I would participate in the program if I could use the bags, but the bags are too expensive. Like that's an example of something that's been a challenge. We do, we say you, you don't have to use compostable bags. You can use paper bags. You don't even have to line your kitchen container at all. If you, if you don't want to, it just means you have to rinse it out. Um, the brown bin, we recommend you don't have to line the bin if you have a way to, to rinse it out. You can use paper bags. You can use certified compostable bags. And we have actually this spring, we added that people can line their brown bin with a clear recycling bag. And it's not our preference to do this, but to encourage participation and because the compostable bags are not yet available everywhere, um, we are allowing this as part of the program to encourage participation, to get people used to doing the program. Our hope is that eventually the compostable bags will maybe become cheaper, will maybe be more available, and then we can switch out the regular plastic bags. One of the challenges with, with the plastic is that it doesn't break down in the composting facility, so it adds to the contamination rate. But it does, we do think that at this point it does encourage more participation because it's more similar to their other recycling programs. Our, our recycling programs, we allow clear plastic bags or you can put stuff directly in a bin. So in some ways it's more parallel right now to those programs. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your thinking is that it's more important to just get them on board at the start and get them into the habit and then it's easier to change. Right. There's there's the front end, the challenge of the front end, which is participation. And then there's the challenge of the back end, which is let's do something useful with this material. And we're trying to sort of balance those two things right now. Right. And um, yeah, so in terms of strategy, would you say that the face to face communication is the most important aspect or? I would say the face-to-face has, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's a critical piece. I I think getting articles in the media, um, generating a buzz, and we've been very lucky where the local television news media has picked up the program, the local neighborhood newspapers have picked up the program, the citywide newspapers have picked up the program, we've had our radio shows pick up the program, and having people hear repeatedly about the program has been absolutely critical. Then having once once you are a, a pilot area where you're actually receiving the program itself, that on the ground outreach has been re- extremely useful. Not everybody reads the mailers. Not you know not everyone you, you receive a mailing from the city, it might end up directly in your recycling bin. Hopefully, your recycling bin. <laughs> um, and uh, and so really having people out there on the ground during the bin deliveries to really make sure people understand the program. We also have had the elected officials have often hosted meetings where people can come and if they have questions, the community boards host meetings. It's really, I think what's critical is you try to sort of hit every outreach opportunity that you can, because you never know who might be listening in which, in which venue. And as the bigger the program goes, you know, the more difficult it is because the more neighborhoods you'll have and, and we'll have to really be efficient in how we implement the process because we won't necessarily have an army to be in every neighborhood all the time. Yeah, that's very true. And um, is there anything you're gearing up for or planning for when the program does get bigger and goes citywide? So we're spending, yeah, so this year we are actually working through the analysis to figure out how, if if we are able to expand this program and really think about it as a program where we're going to expand it citywide, we are working through that analysis right now. So we have plans to further expand in the spring to another approximately 40,000 households. And this fall, we are aggressively trying to recruit more multi-unit buildings to really understand the challenges to making this work in multi-unit buildings. Then um, next summer of 2015, we will start writing up our analysis and, and provide the citywide expansion plan. It, you know, In the end, when we expanded recycling, when we started recycling, it was in portions of the city and we expanded citywide. We took a geographic strategy where we said, you know, now we know we're going to go citywide. Let's phase in each area of the city. It is likely that that would be a useful tactic also for this type of a program once we expand citywide. But we haven't yet crunched all of the numbers to understand exactly how quickly that would happen, you know, who would start first and those sorts of things. Yeah, that's a lot of work and a lot of planning, I'm sure. And since you brought up high rises, I wanted to ask you before when we were talking about them in the last episode, what was your experience in dealing with building owners and supers? Uh, were they on board right away or was it hard to convince them to change? You know, we, we've, we've really been lucky at this point because we're recruiting buildings and so they are voluntarily saying to us, we would like to join this program. So, and I would say one of the most interesting things to date is that it's the the co-ops and the condos, the buildings where people own their units tend to be much more interested in the program than the rental, the building management companies for rental buildings. The, where you have a co-op board, the co-op board president perhaps is the champion of the program. They've really been successful in, in getting buildings on board, getting buildings to participate, committing to, you know, manage the program within their building. 
where you have a resident of a rental building contact us. We we contact the building management company, and you know I would say at this point more often than not the building management company says you know I know this resident's interested in the program, but I don't think I have the resources to manage it. So we're really working this fall to see if we can get more rental buildings on board to understand what are the constraints for a rental building as opposed to a, an owner building. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, this would be vital to understand for New York and indeed other cities as well, I'm sure. Um, but in general now, how has the reaction been from the participants of the scheme so far? Um, has it been mostly positive or has there been any comments on it? Or Yeah, I would say it's, you know, it's mixed. I would say you have the core group of, of residents that are really into the program. You know, they jumped on board, have been really into the program, have given us feedback. I have no trash left, you know, things like that. You do have, I would say, a significant set of residents who've chosen not to participate. And that's the group that we're really trying to recruit now. So we're going back into the pilot areas and saying, you know, this really is beneficial. It really actually will make your trash management cleaner, things like that. And so we really, really, I would say we really have a mix. The people who participate are gung-ho about participating and enthusiastic. And then you have folks who really are choosing not to. Folks who, it's interesting, you look at the numbers. We have RFID tags uh, attached to the brown bins. So when we go and collect, we're able to see how many bins are placed out on each collection route. So we're able to get a sense of participation, which is really helpful for the pilot program. And what we're finding is that you, there are some people who started in the program and then they, they dropped out. You, you don't see their bin being set out anymore. Or they, they dropped out in the winter and they came back again in the spring. And so you can see patterns there. You also see, surprisingly, bins that had never been placed out for collection for three or four months, and all of a sudden you see them being placed out for collection. So maybe that's somebody who really wasn't interested in the program and then saw their neighbors do it long enough that they said, maybe I'll give this a try. Or maybe they have a lot of yard waste, and so they said, you know, maybe I'll use this for yard waste. So we're, we're trying to understand the patterns of behavior. So how do people behave with the program? Is there consistency with participation it's a pretty interesting analysis to understand people's behavior with it because it's it's you know it's a different thing from recycling. Recycling is dry goods and so that ick factor doesn't exist. Whereas with organics, it's a little bit different. Yard waste is less scary, you know, than the food waste portion. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's great. I mean, we have really great testimonials of people who say, you know, I really don't have much garbage left once I've recycled and done the organics. Yeah, that's really great. And uh, I often wonder about the people who start up and drop out and what their reasons were. And it's probably more difficult as well to get them back in the program after they drop out the first time too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And and our feedback is some people say, you know, I had a, I had a free sample of compostable bags. And once those bags ran out, I went to try and buy them and either I couldn't find them or they were too expensive. And so then for those people, we try to say, you know, you don't have to use those bags. Here are other strategies. We encourage you to try um, there are some people for whom, you know, the, it was a particularly tough winter last winter. And so they said, you know what, I just didn't want to do the program over the winter. But now that spring has arrived, I'm coming back. You know, it really, it's varying reasons. Um, yeah. And I'm sure it's important to stay on top of them all as well so you can find more solutions. And um, finally, then, do you have any advice on planning or implementing um, an outreach program just for those listening in who might be starting their own in their own city or um, any pitfalls you want to warn against or tips to share? I, I, what I would say is I would recommend if you have ideas for which communities you think you'd like to start the program in, I would recommend having conversations with those local communities pretty early on. 
give yourself at least a few months before the program's going to start to really start talking to that community, explaining the why of the program. Why are we doing this? And explaining how it would work. The more they feel as though they're sort of part of the development of the process, the better the response. The very first pilot area, we had a situation where certain people uh, were told that this was going to be the pilot area before they were notified on the local level, and they felt a little bit slighted. And so I would say it was, it was important for us moving forward to really get into those local communities. These are our candidate pilot areas. Let's get in there and talk to them, make sure they understand the program, the program's coming, and then when it comes, they're not surprised. So I'd say having that upfront communication before the program starts would be an important piece. I also think providing the tools, so providing the bins and the kitchen containers has been helpful. So giving them the tools so they don't have to go buy anything right away was really helpful. We had samples in, in the initial pilot areas. We had sample supplies of compostable bags so they could at least get themselves started um, was also helpful. That's some really great tips there and advice, definitely. And uh, we'll have to leave it there for today, Bridget. Thanks a million once again for sharing your experiences and coming on the show. Sure. All right. All the best. All right. Take care, Ian. Bye. Bye. That was Bridget Anderson talking to us on The Organic Stream. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them on our website, compostory.org, or send us a tweet. Our Twitter handle is compostoryorg. That's all we have time for this week. Join us again in a couple of weeks' time for the next exciting episode.